0: Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase.
1: Hello, my name is James Seaboot. and my latest cookbook is Hawker Fair, stories and recipes from a Thai and Lao chef's Refugees point of view.
0: In the preface of Hawker Fair, Anthony Bourdain wrote, this book will make you a better person. That's before you even try any of the recipes. Wow, what a ringing endorsement. So let's kick things off with a bit of a geography lesson. Where is Laos and what defines
1: the cuisine? Laos is a landlocked country, kind of wedged in the north of Thailand, northeast of Thailand, um, between Thailand and Vietnam with Cambodia, um, kind of like adjacent to it. Being a landlocked country, you know there's a uh, there's a lot of preservation uh, involved, like you know, um, like fish sauce and stuff like like the unfiltered unfiltered style fish sauce called padak. So that's kind of like the you know the basis of seasoning um, in a lot of food that could be you know funky and just about like you know anchovy um, deliciousness. <laughs> that's the way and, uh, and spice levels. You know a lot of uh, dried chilies. Also, it's very because it's landlocked. Uh, jungles you know so a lot of uh, things are very herbaceous um bitter um yeah that's kind of like you know the kind of the and then also like seafood but like fresh water because like the only um, body of water we have is the Mekong river running through the country
0: the first 125 pages of this book detail your family's journey take us back to 1981 when you and your folks arrived in oakland as refugees
1: uh, 1981, we arrived, you know, a couple of suitcases. Um, don't remember much. I was two at the time. Uh, we arrived in Alameda, which is like a small island right across the estuary from Oakland. And we stayed there for like a week until our social worker found permanent stay. Um, we ended up in Oakland on 25th and Telegraph um, with a bunch of other fellow Lao families that pretty much has the same kind of story but maybe coming from different parts of Lao. Um so some people coming from Gen some people from Wapang, uh some people from Long Kai. Um so it's uh and that's that's how we settled and that's how like the story became and that was our our little Lao <laughs> community as little Lao hub there just a one block um, small block radius.
0: So I read that Siobut was the name given to your father by an immigration officer. What is your family name?
1: You know, that's that's something I still can get an answer, actually. You really? Know, uh, I know my mom's maiden name is Yu Ying. You know, I, I never brought up that conversation with my dad, actually. But my parents were separated, so you know, I never had that conversation. Like, how we, did we derive this name? I Googled it. There are not so many sea boots out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: and the few sea boots that reach out to me, he's like, are we related? And I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe my last name, but you know, our kind of last name is kind of, kind of made up. And that's what my cousins are telling me. And like, okay, and I like, what's what is our real last name? of like, no one knows. It's kind of like this, kind of cool mystery. It's like John Doe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, in a way. Uh, but you know, I'm eager to find out actually now. Um, but you know, I kind of like. Like the mysterious of, um, of it because it's, I think its name is so unique. How, I don't know how it got derived and, and um, yeah, it's 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 still know mystery that's unsolved. <laughs> I think I think we'll leave it that way. I think it's much cooler.
0: So there's Lao, Laos, Laotian, and then there's Lao Isen. Can you explain those?
1: Yeah, the best person to explain this is uh, Professor Vinya see um, some who's like I interviewed in the book, you know what's different, so coming kind of Lao Lao and Laotian um Isan is a region in what we call in Thailand that's northeast uh, which was once part of the lang Kingdom, which is part of Laos, so culturally, the Isan region of Thailand is culturally Lao and Lao is Laos Currently and back then it's it's made up it's the most diverse. Ethnically diverse country in the world. You know, there's there's 40 plus ethnic groups and tribes, and all have their own different dialects and different languages. But uh, well we're all we're all related because that's the genetic makeup of Laos. You know, there's like the Mian, the Hmong, There's so many I can't name them all, but that's what um, Lao is. You know, I, I think about it, it's like almost like California. You know, like what does it mean to say you're California? You know, you can be from Mexico, you can be from, you know, Lao, <laughs> you can be from, you know, so, uh, so, so when people say, you know, I'm and I'm mom, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're Lao, you know, <laughs> we're from Laos, you know, you're a hill tribe, um, Laos, wow. so it's, it's just a very, very interesting, um, interesting place, you know, I like to describe it as like the Basque country, right? It's Wedge, France and Spain, but it's, people know it's the Basque country. And I feel like Isan's kind of the same way.
0: I can't even imagine what your parents went through in terms of culture shock when they moved to Oakland. I mean, everyday things like riding the bus or going to the grocery store must have been such a strange experience. Optimism kept them going. Tell us about the restaurant that your parents opened.
1: The restaurant we opened was, you now your your typical, stereotypical, but accurate mom and pop restaurant. You know, it was... Family run, family owned. Uncles and aunts in the kitchen and the front of the house. You know, we didn't you know, have purveyors, so um, we would go down to Chinatown and the produce terminals and with would water cash and buy ingredients for a day or a couple of days. And yeah, that was like kind of. It was like that was the grind. It was like the restaurant life. Um, you know, it's it's definitely new, you know having. You know, see the lights and billboards and tall buildings, you know, where we came from, like the countryside, where, you know, dirt roads and, you know, water buffaloes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's much very, talk about like, you know, 180 degrees. It's, yeah, it's totally opposite. And, yeah, I don't know how we ended up in Oakland, but I'm pretty sure my parents had never seen a map or a world globe before we came here. But, you know, I think they rolled the dice on the optimism. Of, like, you know, it was, I'm pretty sure they heard of America back then. And it's like, you know, the land of opportunity. Um, so, yeah, they just kind of rolled the dice and made a gamble of it.
0: So you helped out at the restaurant after school and on the weekends?
1: Yeah, that was, you know, like I said, two family restaurant on the weekends. After school, I would, you know, catch Bart um, to the restaurant. My summers were spent in... At the restaurant in Concord, so I was never in, in town uh, for that, so you know I was, I was like the prep cook you know that was the way my mom of multitasking She's had to babysit and run the business and cook and you know provide for us so it was you know that's the only resources we had and we didn't, we didn't have any other family um, in Oakland at that time, so we're, we're in the, just to support us she had to be self-sufficient in a way, yeah.
0: Was that when you figured out you wanted to be a chef?
1: I figured out at the very early age I wanted to be a chef. Was something about like, cooking was very, very stimulating to me and that kept my interest. You know, I, I like doing it. I like food. I love, I mean, which, you know, I don't know, I think there's a lot of seven, eight-year-old boys who love to run around with, like, a knife and, like, <laughs> play with fire, you know? So, but, you know, I was, I, I just love eating i eat everything you know and some things i wasn't allowed to eat i, I wanted to try it i'll sneak it in you know like you know raw beef lob and you're like you oh, know you're too young to eat raw beef you know i, I wanted to try it anyways you know maybe because i was a vigilante you know kids don't like to love to do things where your mom tells not tell you not to do right <laughs> but um but i love i liked it i liked those bitter flavors you know and and, and, yeah, I just I just kind of took interest as, like, it was just a whole new world of, that was different than, like, what I was getting in public elementary school, <laughs> school lunches, you know, like frozen pizzas and corn dogs, you know, um, which to me was kind of, like, not exciting and kind of bland and, you know, boring, you know. So that's what I kind of, like, sparked my interest is, like, and just being like the noise and the sounds of a, a busy restaurant. It was just like overwhelming, but it was like kept my interest and like definitely kept my curiosities high. And that's how I got not love cooking. It's like every day is a new day. And, you know, it was, yeah, I just felt alive.
0: When I started reading this cookbook and cooked out of it, I kept seeing strong similarities between Thai and Lao food. How did Lao morph into Thai?
1: My theory, and it's I think it's the way we find kind of it's tracing back through you know immigration. How the, the people always a culture will always when they move, the thing they'll take with them, not in their suitcase or whatever, is the food they eat, the food they love, the food they're comfortable with. That's that's their like you know security blanket is this food of nourishment. So when, you know, Bangkok was, you know, bustling as the big city. And that was a land opportunity. You know, a lot of people from Esau migrate to Bangkok to become your cab drivers, your construction workers, your maids, and your, you know, your blue collar workers. And obviously, you know, they brought the food with them. You know, the ingredients are all there. We, we share the same ingredients, but it's, the style of cookery was much different from the city. So they would start cooking a lot of these foods for themselves. Um, feed themselves among their own community. And then it just kind of caught on by, you know, the, from people who live, who living in Thailand, like centrally in, in the city, I'm like, wow, we, we're not used to its flavors. So it's different. There it existed in Thailand, and Isan is part of Thailand, you know, nationally. <laughs> so it's, you know, you can't, there's no fault to calling it Thai. I think it's all both it's both correct. it's Thai and it's Lao you know it's it's not one or the other
0: as a 10th grader you thought to yourself I need to do this after you saw a story about the French laundry then you were off and running tell us about culinary school
1: yeah in 10th grade I already knew what I wanted to do you know I was in advanced placement classes um you know there are college preparatory classes we're reading and you know reading charles dickens and scarlet letter and i was thinking to myself you know i want to be a cook i don't think s.h.e is Cheese is going to help me I, was, I wasn't interested in reading you know but what that didn't that didn't like call or sing to me what sung to me was like you know, gourmet magazines and art culinaire and the french language cookbook and you know i was like that's what kept my interest that's what i wanted to read and wanted to do um so yeah i, I kind of like bowed out of my ap classes and i figured like i need to get on a fast track i need to start planning and getting ahead and i need to be in kitchens where it's like all this stuff for reading can be actually practical i know that just been working at my mom's restaurant since i was a child um you know i had like great knife skills and all but you know i never had a chance we didn't cook with butter or cream or made Burblanc and work with foie gras and you know extensive like butchery of different animals uh, i didn't do that in my mom's kitchen you know so that's what i needed to learn and grasp that's what interests me so i had to set myself up and plan to get there to, you know to get to these experiences and seek them out and you know make it happen then in
0: 2009 your fine dining restaurant, Comi, earned a Michelin star in less than four months of being opened. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so my first restaurant in 2009. We opened, I opened Comi first, of, of all things, uh, fine dining. I love fine dining. I still do. I love the artistry of it. I love the production value of it. It's. I like the discipline of fine dining. I think that's the thing that comes across as like, I think no matter of, level of cookery, is rustic or not, I think mean, there's just a fair amount of respect and and discipline because, you know, it is a craft. Um on every level. Um so yeah, we opened that and we got the Michelin star and like, you know, it felt good. It was it felt good to be home in Oakland doing after travelling and working elsewhere and to be, you know, grounded back home again and having this responsibility now that's a mission star that's like worldly you know globally recognized and you know that was definitely an honor and like i said responsibility so yeah it was like it was like it was a good time to like exhale a little bit and like okay we did it you know and this is fantastic but what does this all mean the restaurant got busier thank god um but uh yeah and that's kind of like that's, that's me and we're about eight years old now. So, yeah, it's been a good ride. And it gets better by the day. And I still, I still love the restaurant. Every time I go in, it still feels fresh and brand new.
0: So then at one point in the book, after your stint in Europe, when you realized you wanted to open Hawker Fair, the restaurant, you wrote, the dishes I was raised on, everything I loved most, I had no idea how to cook. How did you tackle that?
1: yeah, I was like, man, who's going to cook all these things for me? Like, these chili dips that she used to give me all the time to have in my refrigerator. Um, it's a kind of a shame. I grew up on this. I was in the kitchen when she makes these things, but I don't know how to do it. I kind of I skipped or turned a blind eye on, like, like an opportunity of educating myself how to do this. So I had to, like, you know, dust off the cobwebs of my taste buds and remember what things taste like and kind of, like, Use my fine dining palate and skill to figure it out on my own, you know, and 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 really trust my own palate and my own memory and like what things are supposed to be or taste like, you know. And of course, I'll have mom to sign off on it, uh, but you know, I, I need to kind of like trust myself first. Like, oh, does this jog a memory? Does this like? Does this takes me back to? Because this chili takes me back to 1989 when I first had it, (laughs) you know? So that was my gauge of learning myself how to cook this food, you know? It it was a lot of trial and error. Um, It wasn't easy, you know? But uh, I think that um, my training in fine dining definitely helps, like, train my palate and kind of gives me the tools to kind of build my map, how to get to where I need to be with a specific dish and you know this is like mom's food where there's no scales it's a handful of this handful of that lots of love and that's all it needs and requires and sometimes like you know am i overthinking this it's like oh i think the ratio of sugar to fish sauce is two to one and it's like i don't we don't know let's just, let's just make it taste correct and worry about the ratios write down the recipe later you know i was kind of building a recipe through numbers rather than like as we go tasting, you know, everything's kind of like to taste, right? (laughs) So it was was a different way of approaching a recipe.
0: I found it interesting that uh, the recipe measurements in the cookbooks included grams. Why did you do that?
1: Like I wanted for um, the reader to say, if you need to adjust a recipe, like double it or triple it or do it in half. It's much easier in grams than trying to like measure out like you know it's easier to measure out a recipe that says ten grams and just measure five you want to cut the recipe in half rather than do a half teaspoon and like oh so that's a quarter teaspoon like I don't have a quarter teaspoon measure, you know it just makes just doing metric just makes more sense <laughs> in cooking in general. I think it gets you to a better product, and the funny thing is that that's not how this food's made. So, like, I'm kind of away from you, like, I'm trapped between two worlds, and both are correct.
0: On Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain mentioned that it was only your second time back in Laos. Did you have that familiar feeling of home when you went there, or did it feel totally foreign to you?
1: Definitely had a, like, flashbacks of, like, my youth. You know, it's just like our living room and our, or um, interior house to some of these houses and villages I'm like you know it's it's really reminiscent of our the way it's decorated and everything the way like things are placed it's like it feels like home you know so that was kind of familiar also the, like the noises and Rome spoke loud the household you know so it, that that was very nostalgic to me that was very you know but very overwhelmed with it <laughs> that was different you know it's like kind of everywhere you know it's like this is the way of life you know it's not just where our houses are so we're different because we're different it's like no this is this is who we are and that was like very eye-opening and comforting um in a way
0: last weekend i made your recipe for poached chicken with rice cow mungai, on page 181 is that how you pronounce it
1: Correct. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> good. This is the most delicious broth I have ever tasted in my entire life. And I'm actually making it again right now. It's on my stove as we speak. Can you mm-hmm. describe this heavenly dish?
1: So it's a one-pot dish. You know, you come home, you get this whole chicken, either from your yard. <laughs> That's how we, how we do it at home. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you make this beautiful stock uh with, it, with aromatics, and then you take the chicken out, you kind of let it sit to room temp while it's fully cooked and moist. You always got to it on the bone, makes it more succulent. Um, and then you have this beautiful broth You serve it by itself. But, you know, you take that broth, there's so much of it because you need enough to submerge the chicken to poach it in. You A gallon that in of rice. water. Yeah. So you cook that with the rice. And then it's it, 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 one of those dishes where it all kind of connects the dots. You know you have everything from the broth to you eating the entire process of of this dish, you know minus the sauce obviously um and yeah, it's just a very comforting thing it's like something's like you know one of one of those things where you feel homesick or like want to eat every day uh, for me it will be like, come on guy, like that's like you know rainy day, nice day on the picnic, you know when you're sick, it's just like. Or it's like the equivalent of like chicken noodle soup. Oh, know? but
0: like 20 million times better.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So what's the deal with pink chicken? I always thought that pink chicken was undercooked, but in the book, you say that's not so.
1: Yeah, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a cultural difference. For me, my, even today, you go to Chinatown, you get like a soy sauce chicken, whatever, and they chop it up and the cutting boy, it's bleeding you know we're there to cook the meat not the bone marrow <laughs> you know once you cook the bone marrow to where, it's where the point is brown the chicken's overcooked and it's no longer kind of enjoyable it's not juicy it's not a succulent um so i think that's where i, I come from I think it's more like a cultural a lot of it's like you know cultural differences of what we used to here where can
0: we find you on the web social media and where can we find your restaurants
1: um, my restaurants are in Oakland, uh, Comedies cool in Oakland, Hot Fares in San Francisco. You can find me on social media at, uh, at James C.A. So all lowercase, one word, first and last name together on uh, Instagram, Twitter.
0: You have opened up a whole new world of food for us. Thanks, James, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a fun discussion. Thank you.
0: Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter as I am Suzy Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, Music to Cook By, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.